Hey, good morning. 26 West, how we doing? My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we are continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians, just walking verse by verse, line by line. And as we kick things off this morning, I have a question for us. And the question is, what is your favorite story? What is your favorite novel? What is your favorite piece of fiction or movie? What is it? Yeah, awesome. I'm ignoring a horrible story that came from this side of Twilight, really? Oh, no. Oh, man. Lesson learned. Never do call and response. No, I'm just kidding. My favorite, my favorite is Lord of the Rings. I, uh, some of you, yes. I, I was introduced to this book as a young boy, and it captured my imagination. But let's be honest for a second about Lord of the Rings. This is the story. It is one of the most illogical, insane, like upside down plans ever. If you're not familiar, like, let let me bring us up to speed here. So from the start, you decide to send nine people. You're gonna send nine people against all the countless armies of evil. You're gonna send nine people, huh? Half of them little hairy foot hobbits that are basically just like jolly gardeners. You know, you're gonna send them in to, to sneak into the enemy fortress of Mordor, thousands of miles away through countless armies, through treacherous mountains, through creatures that have more power imaginable. You're going to do this. And and the plan is to destroy this one ring, not this one I'm literally holding, but this one ring by throwing it into an active volcano called Mount Doom. That's the plan. Uh, Just get this right, Tolkien. That's the plan. Okay, but hang on. Things get crazier. The group splits up about halfway through, and two of the weakest creatures, two hobbits named Frodo and Sam, you know, they're like, we're just going to go tag team uh, into Mordor ourselves here, you know, with no army, no experience, to a place they've never been before. They don't exactly have Airbnbs, you know, in, in Mordor there, you know, and, and they're, they're, they decide, you know what, let's bring along as our guide to help us get there, somebody who literally wants to kill us. That sounds like a great idea. And you know what, hey, we're only going into the place to destroy the thing that everyone in that place is looking for. And just as the reader, you're, you're sitting here and you're, you want to scream at the book and say, like... Let me get this straight. That's the plan? Like, this is the plan we're putting, like, all of our hope in. Like, that's the plan. Like, what? It's a crazy plan. It's an absurd plan. It doesn't make sense on the surface. But, spoiler alert, it's only been a book for about 100 years now. Spoiler alert. It works. It works, right? It absolutely works. And, and, and counterintuitively, against all reason, this was actually the way to end all evil and pain and shadow in the world. And as Sam says, to make everything sad come untrue. It's an amazing story. It's my favorite story. It's amazing because it is an echo of the truer and better story that in reality put an actual end to all evil and all death and all sin and all darkness in the world. And that is the story of the cross of Christ. So Paul in our text today in 1 Corinthians is saying, like hobbits being sent to Mordor, the cross of Christ makes no sense according to worldly wisdom. It is the greatest upside down plan of all, but it is the only way. See, Paul's big idea for the Corinthians is that the gospel cannot be understood with human wisdom lenses. It cannot be understood with these. If you try to understand it with those lenses on, you're going to miss it. 
for it is an entirely other way altogether. So the question that's gonna hang over today, and it's gonna be up on the slide, is the question we're gonna come back to again and again here is, will we trust in what makes sense to us according to our, quote, human wisdom, or will we take the risk of faith and trust in Jesus' counterintuitive cross? I'll repeat that. Will we trust in what makes sense to us according to our human wisdom, or will we take the risk of faith and trust in Jesus' counterintuitive cross. That's where we're going this morning. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And actually, what I wanted to do to start us out this morning is read it all together. But I'd love for us actually to stand and read it. Uh, so would you join me in standing? Uh, we're just going to stand as a sign of our reverence and a sign of awe for God and for his words. So let's, in one voice, read this together. It's a little bit long, but you know, I just really want to saturate our morning in uh, this text. So starting in verse 18, let's read it in one voice. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Rain standing while we pray. Yeah, we can, we can thank God for his word. Yes. Lord, we do. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank you for your cross. We thank you that uh, this good news is true. We thank you that it's something higher, something better than anything we could have ever come up with. And so, Lord, would you use this time now as we study your word, as we hear it proclaimed, would you use it to change our lives? Would you elevate our view of the cross and would we be more enthralled and enamored by you, Jesus, and your work? And all God's people said... Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat, and let's start unpacking this beautiful text of Scripture. Remember last week, Jose, he teed us up. Uh, Paul says in the previous verse, 17, that his mission is to preach the gospel, but not words with eloquent wisdom, as that would actually corrupt the cross's power. More on that in a few weeks. The Corinthians' hope, trust, and identity cannot be in following a convincing teacher. It cannot be in human wisdom. It cannot be in eloquent speech. It must be in the simple, yet paradoxical, counterintuitive reality of the cross of Christ alone, which is, and this is gonna be a major point, it is a step of faith. It is a step of faith because here's the deal. No one, not you, not me, no one would have drawn up this plan to save the world. Look at what Paul says, verse 18, we already read it. For the message of the cross is what? Foolishness. 
to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, we're in a church gathering this morning. Sometimes we grow so familiar with the story that we forget how radical it is. To the world, the message of the cross is foolish. It is stupid. It is absurd. And it would be for us too, unless God you know, hadn't changed our hearts. See, according to human wisdom, the cross is foolish. It is illogical. And it looks utterly humiliating. Gordon Fee says this. He's one of the uh, commentaries that we recommended when we kicked off the series. He says this. No mere human, in their right mind or otherwise, would ever have dreamed up God's scheme for redemption through a crucified Messiah. It's too preposterous, too humiliating for a deity. See, the cross says that the God of all power, who could destroy any enemy with a word, he surrendered to his enemies and died. What? Right? The cross says that the way to defeat death is by dying. Like, hang on a second. The way to defeat death is by dying? The cross says, like, God freed the captives by being taken captive himself. What? Yeah, like, the cross doesn't make sense according to human wisdom, according to our human categories, according to our human wisdom lenses. Something we've got to remember here, the gospel is not a nice story. It's not something that's like, oh, it's just a nice story. You know, whether it's true or not, it's just nice. No, it's not. It's either utter foolishness or it's counterintuitively actually the power to save. Either the cross is a symbol of defeat or victory. It's foolishness or power. See, what Paul's getting at is in a world, that Corinthian world that's obsessed with human wisdom and philosophy. Remember Corinth, the sophists, the Greek influencers, pre-social media who are gathering their followers. You know, in this Corinthian worldview, with these human wisdom lenses on, the gospel does not make sense. With the lenses of human wisdom on, the cross looks like weakness, defeat, foolishness. But with the lenses of God's wisdom on, the cross is transformed to look like power and salvation and glory. See, with the wisdom of God's lenses on, his wisdom on, we see in power, Jesus willfully went to the cross. Jesus was not a helpless victim. Jesus willfully went to the cross, set his face towards the cross. We see all throughout the gospel. He set his face towards the cross. As a friend of mine says, the cross didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus happened to the cross. Jesus was not a helpless victim. In power, Jesus willfully went to the cross. In power, Jesus took all of the weight and all of the penalty of sin on himself. In power, he chose the hardest road of suffering and forgiveness and death. He stared it all in the face and chose to go through with it. And church family, let's be real. Is it harder to forgive or is it harder to retaliate and get vengeance? It's harder to forgive, right? Is it harder to have self-control, exert self-control, or exert, you know, self-indulgence? Uh, self-control. The cross is power. Power. And most of all, church family, we come here to remember this good news. In power, Jesus did not stay dead. <laughs> But he rose from the grave, conquering death itself. The lens of God's wisdom transforms the cross from looking foolish and weak to looking glorious. Amen?
Paul keeps moving, verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's in quote, for it is written, Paul is quoting Isaiah 29, 14. It's from the Old Testament, so hundreds of years before. Uh, and Isaiah at that time was warning God's people not to think that they know more than God, not to think that their wisdom is equal to God, not to think that their understanding is, you know, basically equal to God. And I think it'd be easy for us to say like, how dumb were they? You know, like, like, what? You thought you were equal to, like, you think your understanding was equal to God? Like, I think it'd be easy to kind of look down at, at who Isaiah's talking to. But we do this too. We do this too. Every single time we sin, every single time we sin, what are we saying? We're saying, we think we know how life works better than God. We're saying, God, I know what you said, I know what you said, but you know what, God? Thanks, but no thanks. Like, thank you for the input, but I actually think I know how my, my life works best. Like, every time we're sinning, we're saying, God, thank you, but no thanks. I actually know how best my life works. I know the way in which my life would lead to human flourishing, to the good life, and it's actually my way. Every time we're sinning, we're saying, actually, God, I know more than you do. Every time we complain, we're saying, we think we could govern the world better than God. God, if I was actually the one in control, I would do things a little better. And if you want some consultations, you know, I'm right here for you. Every time we're complaining, we're saying, I, you know, if I was in charge, things would run a little differently here, right? Our culture is convinced. It knows how sexuality works better than God. Our world is convinced. It knows how justice works better than God does. And the list goes on and on. What the point is, this is an age-old error, thinking we know more than God. And what Isaiah and Paul are doing is they are reminding God's people that God has always been in the business, always been in the business of eroding our bent of self-sufficiency and our illusions of self-reliance. God has always been in this business of eroding our illusions of self-reliance and self-sufficiency, which is the way of human wisdom, right? Like, don't rely on anybody. You are enough. God is in the business of eroding that. And ultimately, God's invitation, because he is good and he is loving and he knows what's best for us, his invitation is for us to trust in him. But what we need to see, and what Paul's even getting at by quoting from the Old Testament here, is that this is not new with the cross. It's, it's paramount. It's penultimate at the cross. But God has actually always been in the business of, of, of doing counterintuitive things to save his people. This has been God's always his operating procedure. If you're new to the Bible, this is not the first time. The cross is not the first time that God does things that seem upside down or counterintuitive to, to save his people. This is all over the place. This is all over the place. Let's look at two examples. One would be Jericho. If you're familiar with the Bible, the story of Jericho, let me just say, if you propose the plan of Jericho, you would be fired so fast from the military, you wouldn't know what hit you. Like, imagine you're sitting there. You know, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, I got a plan. We're going to take over this enemy fortress. All right, let me hear. What's the plan? We're going to do the back and forth thing. Yes, bear with me. Okay, what's the plan? Are we going to shoot it with air, a barrage of arrows and just rain down, you know? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Are we going to take a ram and just bust down the front door, you know, just, just, just blitz them? No, we're going to walk in a circle. 
And then we're, this is the best part. And then we're going to yell really loud. What do you think? I think this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to walk and you're going to yell? You're like, that was really loud, Stephen. <laughs> the microphone worked. Like, but what happens? The walls come crumbling down like God is in the business of shaming the wisdom of the wise. And you're like, Jericho, that's just one story. Like, Gideon. the story of Gideon. We have this huge army before us. Gideon is the basically warrior leader of the people of God. There's this huge army before us. What do we do, God? What do we do? Human wisdom says we are way outnumbered. Get every single like man and able-bodied person to the front lines. We got to fight. What does God do? God says, you started with 32,000 people, huh? Cut it down to 300. And the way you're going to do it, how do the guys drink water? I'm going to need you to repeat that, God. We're facing an army of 135,000 people. We already are outnumbered 32,000. And you want us to cut it down to 300? Yep. (laughs) What? Why? Like, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. I don't want you to think that you won the battle. It was always and will always be me. I want you to trust in me. And that's the point, right? Like, that's the point. The plans of God are so unlike our plans that they force us to have faith and trust in him, right? The plans of God are so unlike our plans. Jericho, Gideon, the cross, they're so unlike our plans that they force us to have faith in God. All throughout the scriptures, these plans destroy the wisdom of the wise and they destroy the intelligence of the intelligent. But most of all, Paul says, this is true of the cross. Look what he says in verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Remember last week, uh, Paul asked some pretty ridiculous, you know, rhetorical questions, if you remember that, right? Like, he says, was I crucified for you? Uh, Was Jesus divided and chopped up into pieces? No. So you stop being divided and breaking off into factions, you dorks. You know, that's the Stephen Collins version there. It's like, Paul's saying, stop. So then he again asked some rhetorical questions here. He says, in light of the cross and its power and its victory and its salvation and its reality... Where are the wise men now? They weren't coming up with this plan. In fact, they think this plan is foolish. They think it's absurd. So why are you trusting in them? Where's that sophist philosopher and their so-called wisdom? How do they look now in light of the cross? Foolish. Like what once looked so wise looks so foolish now. This reminds me of this uh, Twitter account. I'm still gonna call it Twitter. I know it's like Elon Musk calls it X now, but we're gonna call it Twitter. Uh, It's this account I like called Old Takes Exposed, which is already off to a great start, right? 
old takes exposed. It's all about humbling people who think they're really wise and really smart, giving these like sports takes, at least that's the version of it I look at, and uh, that just turn out to be absolutely ridiculous. So you have some arrogant, you know, like sports analyst who says, you know, uh, it'll, it'll show a clip of this guy saying like, Steph Curry's never gonna work. Like he's way too small. Like it'll never, he'll never work out in the NBA. As Steph Curry's the greatest three-point shooter ever and is holding like multiple championships. And, and uh, oops, he kind of worked out, buddy. Like he kind of worked out. So the question is for the reader. Going to that guy for sports analysis? You sure you want to keep going to that guy? Paul's saying, you sure you want to keep going to these Greek philosophers for wisdom? They couldn't even get the main thing right. How are they really going to help you? You sure you really want to go to them? If they can't get the cross right, how are they really? You sure you want to keep trusting in those pop philosophers on Instagram and TikTok influencers, the cable news talking heads, the politicians who don't know Christ or behave in a way that rejects Christ and denies his cross? You sure you want to keep trusting in them for wisdom on marriage, wisdom on sexuality or cultural issues or justice or ethics itself or life? Paul's echoing to us in light of the cross. What do they really have to offer us? They can't lead to life. Drilling deeper, our our big question, will you trust in what just makes sense? What sounds good according to your wisdom? Or will you take the risk of faith and trust in Jesus's counterintuitive cross? The question is, what will we trust in? What will we trust in? And we say we trust in Jesus, even, even though it's counterintuitive, even though it's upside down, even though it's paradoxical, we trust in Jesus. Are you with me? Let's keep moving. Verse 21. This one, uh, buckle up for this one. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Uh, this is a classic Paul sentence that you need to read about six times to feel like you half understand it, right? Like, as you're reading that, you're like, what exactly are we doing? And if you're confused, that's never something you would admit, like in a small group, you're like, I didn't understand really what Paul said. Thankfully, uh, the scriptures help us out. The apostle Peter even says, like, Paul's hard to understand at times. So you're in good company uh, if you find Paul hard to understand at times. Let's look at this verse again, but in the NLT, as I think it's especially uh, clarifying for us here. Let's look at it again. It's up on the screen. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Paul's saying that left to alleged human wisdom, people cannot find God. All human wisdom and intelligence and rationale will not and cannot save. And I think especially in like Intel land, we need to hear this. Engineers, like there is no amount of wisdom or intelligence or knowledge that can save you. Like, I'm under no pretenses here up as a Chico State graduate here. I know my wisdom and intelligence ain't getting me anywhere, you know, but some of you guys need to hear this. You're, you're, you're succeeding, you know, you are intelligent, but there is no amount of human intelligence that can save us. There is not. Like, we're gonna sing an old hymn here in response. Nothing can for Cinetone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing I have done, nothing I have thought, nothing I have achieved 
We cannot find God on our own. Rather, left to ourselves, we will sin, we will create idols, and we will believe lies. We need God's intervention. We need God's intervention. And the reality is, understanding and trusting in the gospel is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit's work. He needs to change our hearts. He needs to give us eyes to see so we can actually believe. And the bad news is that there's no human wisdom, there's no human effort that can save us. But the good news, as that text says, is that God is pleased to do what only he can do, save. The bad news is we can't save ourselves. The bad news is we can't create a resume good enough for God. But the good news is God saved and he's pleased to do it. It's the good news. God saves, but it's according to his wise plan. For he is sovereign, he is good, he is gracious. And his plan to save, not our constructs, is through, his plan is through the message of the foolish cross, which is actually true wisdom. Gordon Fee sums it up nicely. The longer quote, he says this, this, talking about this verse, is the first clear expression in the Pauline letters of what was certainly central to his theology, namely that it was God alone who initiated salvation for those whom God calls. And the human response to the call of grace is to believe. But believing does not mean simply giving mental assent to. It doesn't mean just believing right things. It means putting one's whole trust in as well. Not just right thinking, not just right doctrine, right living, right response. Thus, in contrast to the present Corinthians' emphasis on wisdom, Paul insists that salvation does not come through wisdom at all, but through the foolishness of the event of the cross. And precisely because it stands in contradiction to ordinary human wisdom, it is only for those who believe, for those who will take the risk and put their whole trust in God to save in this way. Paul is saying that God initiates salvation. God intervened in the human responsibility. Your responsibility, my responsibility, our responsibility is to respond in belief. Salvation is not through our wisdom or our effort. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus is through our belief in the cross of Christ. Are you with me? Amen. Let's keep moving. Verse 22 and 23. Let's look at these two together. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We just got to pause here for a second. We preach Christ crucified, period, full stop. We cannot move on to Jesus plus politics. Like that's our hope. Jesus plus partisan politics or Jesus plus comfort in the American dream. That's what leads to life. Like life is Jesus plus, you know, this American dream we have, the system. No, as one author aptly puts it, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Gordon Fee says, Paul recognizes that to move on beyond the cross is not to move on at all, but is to abandon Christ all together. So what do we do? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. See here, Paul, what he's doing is laying out two false views of humanity. And at first they look different, this Jewish and this Greek uh, worldview, but actually they have one thing in common. They both want God to make sense. They both want God to make sense within their understanding of wisdom and power. 
what we're going to do is we're going to unpack these one at a time. Uh, as Paul's talking to both a Jewish and a Greek or Gentile audience in Corinth, and he has to address how the cross confronts both communities. So first to the Jews, the issue is power. They expect, like the Jewish worldview is, they expected a Messiah to come and to triumph, to crush Rome, to set them free, to establish the kingdom of God and put every single enemy under his feet. When the Messiah comes, oh man, he's gonna be wrecking some people. Like, this is what they expected. The Jews demand signs. If you're really the Messiah, then do the things according to our expectation. How often do the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders tell Jesus, if you're really this, do that. Perform for us. Perform a sign. They demand signs. And I think, again, before we look down our noses, like we do the same thing. God, if you're real, heal this. God, if you're really in charge, do this. God, if you're good, do X, Y, Z. I think we got a little bit of this in us as well. It's in me as well. But to the Jews, Paul declares the ultimate contradiction. We preach Messiah crucified. Gordon Fee puts it well. He says, in their worldview, you can either have a Messiah or you can have crucifixion. You can't have both. You can have a Messiah or you can have somebody crucified, but those things do not go together. To the Jews, a crucified Messiah is the ultimate scandal because Messiah means victorious. Messiah means, means glorious. Messiah means victory. Messiah means power. Messiah means splendor. And crucifixion means weakness. It means defeat. It means humiliation. They are incompatible. They're incompatible. It's like, it's like fried ice, you know? It's, it, it doesn't work, you know? Um, they're incompatible. It's like Oregon and winning national championships. Incompatible. <laughs> the Oregon State fans are all happy. You know, it's, I got a microphone. You got to get the shots in, you know, as, as my team's doing very badly right now. Make sure you're awake. You're with me. The Beaver fans like, get them. It's like, what do you have to? You know, I don't know. Obviously, the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. Second, the Greeks, they demand wisdom and reason which subtly means, right, according to my understanding of wisdom, what I deem reasonable. When it says in verse 23 that the cross is foolishness to the Gentiles, this is better understood as madness, not like silly, insane. And he's like, this is madness. And it's hard for us today in 2023 to remove ourselves from 2,000 years of Christian thought. And, and, and Christian influence. It's really hard to do this, but try to jump back and put on some like Greek lenses. Try to, try to imagine like we gotta try to get into the Corinthian skin here for a second. Like with this lens on, with this worldview, jump back there for a second. Dying for your enemies is madness. Dying for your enemies is insanity. The God of all power who created everything by a word surrendering to death and weakness for the good of his people? That's insane. Think about the, the Greek gods. Zeus ain't doing that. Like Zeus is not dying for the good of his people. Like Zeus is out there wrecking people with lightning bolts, you know, like he's, he's playing tricks on people. Like he's manipulating and using people. Like the people's job is try to appease God so they don't play tricks on you. Not the God of all, if you have power, the point is exploit it for your own good. Like, whereas this God uses his power to serve, that's insane. That does not compute for the Greeks. Again, the cross says death is defeated by dying. Like, this is madness. 
The greatest victory is through utter defeat. Like the way to glorification is through humiliation. The way to find your life is lose it. Like the way to the self-fulfilling life is to deny yourself. Like you gain your life by losing it. When you're weak, you're strong. The way the God of all power comes to earth is by being born of a virgin and making himself completely vulnerable and helpless. This is madness. Like, this is madness. A crucified Messiah was offensive to an unbelieving Jew and nonsensical to an unbelieving Greek. Right? A a, a crucified Messiah, it's it's offensive. Right? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to an unbelieving Jew and it's nonsensical to an unbelieving Greek. But verse 24, Paul has a refrain, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God calls both Jew and Greek to repent and believe. God calls both for he's Lord over all people, all nations, all ethnicities, all cultures. Christ is the power and wisdom of God as he is the fulfillment and ultimate reality of power and wisdom itself. It is counterintuitive. It is upside down. It is paradoxical, but it is true. Remember, Paul is trying to help them see life through the lens of God's wisdom, not their human wisdom lenses. From the lenses of God's wisdom, we say, yes, death is defeated through death because Jesus rose again. Yes, you do gain your life by losing it because life is found when we get off the throne of our life, when we stop pretending like we're Lord and we bend a knee to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus Christ himself, right? Like, yes, when you're weak, you're strong because when you're weak, you stop relying on yourself and you stop believing the lie that you are enough. When you're weak, it forces you to get beyond the delusions of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. When you're weak, you must, you are forced to rely on God and his strength. So therefore, when you're weak, you are strong. See, when the Holy Spirit intervenes, he gives us new lenses that empower us to see the cross and life rightly. Again, are you with me? We need God. Again, like this stuff, it's so counterintuitive. It's so upside down. And yet it is the way. It is the truth, and it is the life. This is the way of Jesus. Last verse, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Like first, fundamentally, God is wiser and stronger than anyone or anything. God is wiser and stronger than anyone or anything. Some of us just like come here to encourage us, to, to remind us of what's true. God is smarter than that scholar at that university. He's wiser, Jesus is wiser than that blogger. The Holy Spirit is more knowledgeable than that social media influencer. And the reality is, like, and we all know this to be true, people are deconverting and deconstructing left and right because of, like, social media influence. And I want to say, like, we, we are a place that's committed to, we ask any question, but what we're going to do is provoke and encourage and implore, look to the right places for answers. 
Like we just went and just did a podcast on listening and asking good questions. This is a place for you to ask anything. You can disagree with what I'm saying. I would gladly get coffee and process. Like we can ask all kinds of questions. We do a whole thing called Alpha that's basically come, listen to these videos, watch these videos and you can disagree with it all, but it's a space to process and seek the right places to look for the right answers. What I'm coming here to say, ask all the questions, but we need to look in wisdom to the right places for the right answers. And some of us need to be reminded, these other places don't know more than God. They aren't wiser than God. So don't put your trust in them. We all gotta follow somebody. We're all gonna trust in somebody. We're all gonna look to somebody for guidance and wisdom for the way to life. We're saying like Jesus is the way. Like Jesus is the wise one. He's worth pushing all our chips onto him. Also, God is stronger. He's stronger than any politician or political regime. Jesus is more powerful than those systems, those generations, those strongholds of sin. And the Holy Spirit is mightier than your own story of shame and guilt. See, people, we, we, again, we, this is around us. People are living in perpetual fear, anxiety, and overwhelm because of news, because updates, because of the state of the world. Things are not the way they ought to be, obviously. And some of us need to be reminded, God is in control. This does not overwhelm him. There's an old hymn that says, this is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that, oh, the wrong feels off so strong. God is the ruler yet. We don't need to fear these things. God is in control, so we can trust in him. What Paul's saying is God's alleged folly. The cross is wiser than any human wisdom. And God's supposed weakness, the cross, is stronger than any human power. Again, that verse 25 can be a little confusing, right? Like the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Like, what are we talking about? What Paul's saying is God's alleged folly, the cross, is wiser than any human wisdom. And God's supposed weakness, the cross, is stronger than any human power. Here's the subversive genius of the cross. In the cross, God both outsmarted and overpowered his enemies. In the cross, God both outsmarted and overpowered his enemies. But again, this would not have been our plan. As, as he says, it's too preposterous. <laughs> a crucified Messiah. Our plan for salvation would not have been crucified Messiah. It would have been a plan based on merit, effort, good intentions. We'd create a plan. I know I would create a system. Uh, you gotta earn it. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna prove ourselves worthy. You know, salvation based on how good you are compared to everybody else. Like, I'm not that bad compared to X, Y, Z. Like, you know, a merit-based system. A system of what goes around comes around. Like, this is the way of human wisdom. You put in good things, good things will come back to you. Like, this is the system we, we all would come up with. Like, but God's system is grace. God's system is grace. He did not take up our consultations. His plan is the cross. His plan is grace, unearned, unachievable favor. It requires trust, not earning, trust. So we're left with a choice, and it's the question we started with. Will you trust in your own human wisdom, 
your own effort and your own goodness, your own understanding, which just makes sense, right? I'm gonna work hard, be good enough. I'm gonna have good intentions. I'm gonna try hard. You know, and that, that, that's the way I'm gonna make it work. My own wisdom, my own effort. Will you trust on those things? Or will you trust in the counterintuitive cross of Christ? And Paul is imploring, and I'm also imploring us, trust in the cross. For the weakness of God is stronger than all human strength. And the foolishness of God is wiser than all human wisdom. Trust in Jesus. For he alone can rescue. He alone can save. He alone can redeem. So in closing, this week, what we see is the message of the cross is in contradiction to human wisdom. That's what we spent the last you know, 40 minutes talking about. A crucified Messiah. It's in contradiction to human wisdom. But next week, we're gonna see it's not just the message of the cross. That's a paradox. But the recipients of it as well. It's not the strong and influential that are saved, but the weak and humble. It's those who recognize their weakness, recognize their neediness, that run to Jesus and receive him and his cross. So as we move to respond, I have two questions for us to reflect on this morning. They're also on your community group discussion guide that uh, we'll process in our groups this week. So one, where in your life do you find it challenging to trust in God's wisdom over human wisdom? Now, where in your life? Then two, what does it look like to take the risk, to take the risk of trusting God and his counterintuitive way in this area? What does it look like What is your area? I don't know what your step is, but I know we all have one. Maybe for you, it's it's taking the risk. Maybe you're dating somebody and all human wisdom says you should live together. And you you, you love each other, so you should push, you know, don't want any barriers to intimacy and relationship. And, you know, the wisdom says just, just, Take that step. Marcus and Hannah, you heard, you know, that they have a story on the website. Go, go check that out. I was able to officiate their wedding and I remember talking to them and they said, all of their friends said, you're like, this doesn't make any sense to not live together. To not like test drive the car before you drive it. Like, this doesn't make sense. And they're like, we trust in God and his way. We're gonna take this step of faith. Maybe for you, it's, and the season is just tight and resources are tight. And wisdom, like, according to our human understanding, says, like, keep it. And, 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 you know, we gotta make sure that we're okay. Because God's way says be generous and sacrificial. And, like, trust God even when it doesn't make sense. He even says, test me in generosity. His, His way is another way. Maybe that's your step of faith, the risk. Maybe it's, there's a decision you have that just, you have something that you want, and it makes sense to you. Maybe you need to take that decision and submit it to God, but also to some wise counselors, some, some mentors, some friends of yours and say, you know what? This is what I wanna do. This is what makes sense, but I'm actually gonna surrender this to you. And if you think this is dumb, I won't do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'm not gonna rely on my own individual understanding because I can be deceived. I'm gonna bring in, as God's wisdom says, other people who love Jesus that can speak into this. Or maybe, you know, you're sitting here and maybe you're a, stay-at-home mom and you're exhausted or you're new to your job and they got you at the bottom and they're just working you like crazy and you feel like you got nothing left to give 
And everything says like hoard, you know, your rest and like look out for yourself and go the way of like self-care and just like make sure you're okay. Whereas Jesus is like those who seek to save their life like will lose it. And those who seek to give it away will find it. And the sense of I am going, like when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm gonna give myself away to my family, to my friends, to my coworker, to my roommate. Like, even though I don't feel like I got much, I'm gonna offer this to the Lord and trust that the way of self-giving love, the way of Jesus is the good life, even when it doesn't make sense. See, following God, when it doesn't make sense, only happens when you think Jesus and his way is better. You'll only take the risk if you trust the one who's calling you to make it. You'll only take the risk if you trust the one who's calling you to take it. Church, we come here to remember we can trust Jesus. He's the one calling us to take this. We can trust him. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just get this picture that like a dad in the pool calling maybe his daughter to jump in. And that child, although timid, takes that jump because they trust in their father. They trust that he's gonna catch them. They're gonna trust that they're not gonna drown. They're gonna trust that, you know what? My dad would not call me into something that would lead to my destruction, but would lead to my joy and flourishing. And Jesus, you are calling us to life. Would we take the jump? Would we take the leap? Would we step out in faith? Your cross doesn't make sense to us. It's not a plan we would have come up with, but that's the point. You're calling us not to rely on ourselves, not to rely on our own understanding, not to rely on our own systems of salvation and worth and work, but you're calling us to trust in you. So give us the faith, give us the courage to believe. Help our unbelief. We love you, we need you. Spirit, help us. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this with our own lenses. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us a heart that sees us as good news. Give us a posture of trust and faith and belief. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, you can stand with me. We're gonna respond, and we do this every week. We come in to respond, and I believe that we have something we can respond to, so the sides are gonna be open. And I would encourage us, take the path of humility, take the path of stepping out in risk, and to come forward and pray. People would love to pray over you, lay hands on you. I, we don't know what God's inviting you into. You have something in mind right now. You're like, I think God's calling me to take this step. Let us surrender it to God up front. Let us respond to the God who gave it all so we can take a small step. Let us surrender to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the one who did the work a long time ago so we could respond to it today. So let's respond in faith. Let's respond in action. God acted on the cross so we could respond in action in our life. Let's respond together in prayer, in singing. Let's respond this week in giving ourselves away. We'll respond in communion in a minute, uh, but for now, let's come forward, let's pray, and let's sing. Jesus is worthy.